0: We start a new chapter today in our verse-by-verse study of the book of Hebrews, and what a faith-building, faith-filling book of the Bible Hebrews is. The Bible study I've entitled today is Winners and Losers in the Spiritual Race of Faith, because we are in a race, and we learn that here in chapter 12 in verse 1. Remember, Hebrews was written to a group of Jewish believers who embraced their Messiah. He, Jesus arrives and he fulfills all that God promised. He is the promised Messiah. And many Jewish, believer, many Jewish believers embrace him. And they now know and understand the fulfillment of Judaism is found in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. But now, because they've gone all in because they've jumped in with both feet, they've said, yes, we have cast our lot with Jesus Christ, they're beginning to feel the backlash. They're beginning to doubt their faith. They're beginning to drift away. They're becoming dull toward the word of God, even some despising God's word. And so Paul, I believe the author of Hebrews, sits down to write this exhortation to stay close to Jesus Christ. An exhortation addressed to true believers. And we know the message is true for us today, the application. God is exhorting you to stay strong. God is exhorting you to keep your eyes on the Lord. God is exhorting you that you have made the best decision you've ever made in your entire life was to embrace Jesus Christ and to be born again. And we've just spent a tremendous amount of time in the chapter 11, the hall of faith. And it's been faith, faith, faith over and over again. I count at least 23 times in chapter 11 that faith is mentioned and alluded to and given us the example of what faith really looks like in a person's life. You see, the all-in approach that you've taken, the all-in approach that they've taken, is one that's going to bring pain into your life. Sometimes you think, well, if I follow Jesus, then it's going to be a painless life and a life without suffering and a life that we'll never be sick again and I'll never face down. Never. That's not true. As a matter of fact, following Jesus brings an intensity in these things as now you're in a spiritual battle. And so Paul then and Paul now, the Holy Spirit wants to come alongside of us and remind us that Jesus is in every way a better and the complete revelation of God greater than the old covenant, greater than all the rituals and religion, greater than everything. And that in their faith journey, they're not alone. So notice in verse one of chapter 12, it says, therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. Right away, we learn that we're not alone. For the Hebrew believers, they're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, but so are you. This group of men and women that live by faith, and they made it. They made it in. They're in the presence of God right now. How? By faith. And they overcame all of their failures, all of their missteps, all of their difficulties, and they're remembered not by their failures. They're not remembered because of all the weaknesses. They're remembered, why? Because of their faith. And so we have them that go before us, but also he uses the phrase us. He says, look, we're in this together. You've been born again into a new spiritual family. Now, whether you like it or not, if you look around the room, these are your brothers and sisters in Christ. This is it. This is what heaven's going to look like. We are going to be together. You better start liking each other now because you're going to be together for all eternity. This is it. We are, and aren't you glad that there was room for you in the family of God? Of all that you've been through, all of your background, there's room for you and there was room for me. We're in this together. And what are we in exactly? Well, notice he says, he says we're in a race. He describes our Christian experience, our Christian relationship, as a race. And he starts with the word, therefore. Notice that word in verse one, therefore. That's an important word. Whenever you see this word, I want you to remember that it's a connecting word. So it connects us with what has been said previously. You also wanna ask the question whenever you see the word therefore, what is it therefore? What are we being connected? What are we learning as the Bible is one unit? You could say this, whenever you see the word therefore, you could also translate it, because of what I just said, I want to teach you something. That's really what the word means. Of everything I just finished saying, here's the conclusion of the matter. So the word therefore in chapter 12 connects us back to chapter 11 really to the end of how everyone made it. everyone, All those that uh, through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, they all made it in because of their faith and because of all that we have just learned about faith, you need to remember to run your race. Everybody before you, they ran their race. You need to run your race and you run it together. We run this race together in this hall of faith filled with great men and women who live by faith, it's not just them that ended well, we too want to end well. And so what does he tell us? He says, let us, number one, lay aside every weight. Now we'll develop this in later studies, but for today, remember, lay aside every weight, the things that are heavy, the things that are weighing you down, and lay aside the sin, I mean, let's just face it. If there is known sin in your life, it is hindering you from running the race. D- don't think that it's no big deal. And don't think that compromise isn't going to hurt you. And don't think that, that it's not going to trip you up and that you're not going to fall on your face if you're messing around with known sin. He says, lay it aside. There's no room in our lives for known sin. You can't hold on to it and run your race at the same time. I kind of get that picture of like, you know, that Olympic athlete that's training and training and training. You know, they, they try to minimize uh, the clothing that they have to be aerodynamic and have the right shoes and to train and to run. They don't put on a big backpack with big rocks in there. Say, so oh, just lay another one in, lay another one in. No, they lay aside everything that's necessary so that they might win the race that they're running. So lay aside those. We'll get into those in later studies. But notice he says, let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. You know, there are winners and losers in this spiritual race of life. That's what's the comparison here is your life and my life following Jesus is like a race. It's a familiar comparison in the Bible. It's not the first time it's used. If you want to jot it down in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, it says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. So let's run the race. And I like that. It's us. Let us. We're in this race together. Now you could say that although we're running the same race, we all have our lane. You know, we all have our unique life, our unique background, our unique spiritual gifting. So we all have our lane, but we're in the race together. Now it's important to remember, especially for those of you here today or listening to me on the radio, that are of the more competitive type of people. You know, like you can't do anything without Wanting to win, not just do your best, but like you want to win. Your attitude is if you're not first place, everything else is last place. Like there are no, like you're competitive. Not that I would know anything about that. Our family happens to be a very competitive family in everything we do, and so what we're trying to do when we're playing a game is to win and to beat the other person. That's not the picture here. So if you're competitive, you have to set that aside and understand that there's a different way you run the spiritual race of life. It's not to beat another person. Here, you are running the race, listen, to finish. You are running the race to finish. Not just to finish, but to finish well. You wanna go all the way through the finish line. And you want to do it in such a way where you finish well. It's not about beating me or you, um, me beating me or me beating you. It's not about me finishing first or you finishing first. It's about us, all of us, finishing well. You know, in a competitive race, if you're in a lane next to someone and you're running really fast and the person falls down next to you, you're like, okay, one less person that can beat me. And you keep running. But for the believer, when we're running in the race together and somebody falls, the one that's running stops, comes back, helps the brother or sister up so that we can run together. Because the goal is, I want to finish, but I want you to finish too. And if we finish together, that's great. If you finish ahead of me, that's great. The only point of this race, church, is that you finish. You need to finish well. I want to finish well. I was thinking about this in my own life because you know I want especially as the years keep being added to my life I want to finish this race I want to finish well I've had for many years this thought of not wanting to fail and falter. And and for years, you know, back, if you listen to some of the old Bible studies, I'm sure I say this. So, you know, I don't want you to wake up one day and have the headline on Denver Post, oh, there's another pastor that fell into some gross sin and didn't finish the race well. Well, nobody reads the Denver Post anymore, so I don't want you, you know, I don't want you now, it has to change. I don't want you to Google my name then and find out there's another pastor that got into something, got off course, did something stupid, and then now I'm not finishing my race. Because I I want to finish well for my family, for my kids, for my grandkids. I want to finish well for the people that God has allowed me to serve, to allow me to teach the Bible, allow me to be a part of your life. I want to finish well. And you want to, in your mind, you want to adopt. If you haven't thought this way before, you as a believer want to adopt this thought. You want to be able to say, I want to finish well. I don't just want a good day. I want a good week. I don't just want a good week. I want a good month. I want a good year. I want a legacy of my lifetime to say, even though I was dead in my trespasses and sins, God saved my life, put me in the race, and I want to finish well. Why? There are spiritual winners and losers. And the losers don't finish well. The losers don't enter into the race really at all. For those of you that have been around for a while, walking with the Lord, for me, it's almost now 30 years. It's hard to believe, but almost 30 years now, I've walked with Jesus. I've been born again. The the starting gun went off in the sanctuary of Calvary Chapel in Downey, California back in 1991. Now, back then, I didn't really know I was in a race. I didn't know all the things that I've read the Bible. I didn't read the Bible. I didn't even own a Bible when I was born again, and so I've learned over the years that God compares my walk now with Him as a race. And now I look back and I go, oh, wow. Wow, that was really, that's where it began, that moment. I, I can remember that moment like it was yesterday. I can remember all the sights and the sounds, and I was born again right there in that sanctuary. And I started out with a lot of people. I started going to every service, I was going to prayer meetings, I was involved in small groups, I mean, I wanted to be around believers as much as possible, and I was surrounded by a bunch of guys and gals that we all started out with different folks, and there were a few people that I started out with that I thought, oh, I don't think they're going to make it, I just don't think, I, don't, I just don't see a real, I, I don't know, I don't think they're going to make it, that probably they'll, they'll throw in the towel, and guess what, some of them did, some of them just threw in the towel, they quit. They turned back. And there are others, same group, that didn't throw in the towel, and they're still running with the Lord today. Some of our pastors, some of our leaders, others I started out with or met along the way, I saw that had great potential. I even saw God use them in some ways and so encouraged by their lives, and now they've fallen away, turned their backs on Jesus. There are some, as I was teaching this, In our Saturday night service, for the first time, these images popped into my mind of people that were in this church, serving in leadership, in key places of leadership in this church, that were as entrusted by God and by this church, the elders of this church, to care for the flock here. That I can remember doing ministry with them side by side. I can remember praying with them. I can remember them in in leadership meetings. I can remember them in Bible studies. That today, not only are some of them not walking with the Lord, but some of them have become atheists. Or at least professing to be atheists. Some of them, I mean people that served right here in this church in the past 20 years are undermining. They They have taken it upon themselves to undermine the faith of others. And it's so discouraging. I'm sure that you've met people like that too. So let's just pray for them right now. Father, I pray uh, as you think, and, and even as a uh, brother was giving me, he gave me another name of person that I re- remembered that served here, that was in leadership here, but now is under, trying to undermine people's faith. I just pray, God, you bring conviction on them, but more than anything, that you bring them back, that they would stop it, that they would just begin to fall in love with you once more that they would recognize all that you have done for us, and that you bring great conviction, even as I see face after face after face, and it seems like every service, more faces are added, and it's sad. It's very sad, Lord, and I pray against their undermining of people's faith. It reminds me of like Alexander the coppersmith, that, um, you know, he did Paul much harm because he hurt a lot of believers, and I pray for those that are hurting believers right now, You'd bring it to a stop and bring them back to a, sa- to a saving, full, real faith in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So let me ask you this. As, as names, as faces were coming up in my mind, by just a show of hands, did any faces come to your mind? Not the ones that I have, but your own, that you knew that people were walking with you, and now they're not. They were serving with you. They were in the race, and they're not in the race anymore. This is real stuff, guys. Some of the people that are in my mind, I, I would have never, ever in a thousand years predicted that they wouldn't be walking with the Lord right now. I think of some of the things I've seen posted on YouTube and Facebook and all that nonsense and listening to those watching. I mean, I would have never, ever, ever predicted that they would turn and try to hurt you and try to hurt their parents and try to hurt like people that are loving Jesus. Why? Well, look, some people have a strong start They have a powerful start in the race of life only to crash and burn later. And others have a weak start and they pull it together in the end. And there are those that have a strong start and have a strong finish. And that's who I want to be. Like we don't know. Because you know it's for me, for me I know that the Bible teaches in the security of the believer. I know that. It's very clear. You guys that are studying, you ladies in the women's study, you guys that come on our midweek Bible study, we've already learned in 1 Peter that you are kept by the power of God. You're not kept by your good works. You're not kept by your church attendance. You're not kept by your prayer. You are kept by the power of God. What he's begun, he's going to finish in your life. So I believe in the security of the real believer, but I also believe in the insecurity of the make-believer. Because there are make-believers. And it's time and testing that reveal that. There are people that say they love God, there are people that say they want to serve God, there are people that might even buy a Bible and start to pray hanging out here, but they're not real believers. And you go, what, how do you know? I don't know yet. But I do know when people fall away, uh, when people turn their back on God, when people become full-blown confessed atheists, that's concerning to me. The Bible says that not everybody that gathers together are believers. The Bible says that there'll be wolves that come in what? Sheep's clothing. They look like sheep, smell like sheep, talk like sheep. They're all like sheep. They got all the Christians. Hallelujah, brother. Oh, praise the Lord. And before you know it, they're hallelujahing with their right hand, got their hand in your back pocket, trying to rip you off and take advantage of you physically, spiritually. We've had our fair share here. That's why as shepherds and pastors, God has given us responsibility to protect the flock. And we do, as unto the Lord. It's our responsibility, but they're not. You know, Jesus said that, hey, there's going to be wheat that grow together, and there's also going to be what? Tares. Tares are like weeds that look like wheat that have really no value. And he says, you know, you're just going to have to let them grow up together because you'll find out who's who at harvest time, and the Lord will sort it out. You see, not everybody's in the race, even though they say they are. But everybody that's listening to me can choose to be in the race. It's not like you're being pushed out. It's not like you're being kept out. It's your own decisions. The key in this race is to finish well. And so know this, know this. When a person falls away from Christ, they have really no one to blame but themselves. Now that's a heavy statement. I'm reading it exactly how I put it in my notes. As I was reading it for the first time last night and teaching, I'm like, wow, that's heavy, Lord. That's a message you need to hear. Listen, when a person falls away from Christ, they really have no one to blame but themselves. But you'll hear all kinds of stories. You know, maybe you've had a bad experience in a church. You go, well, you know, that church, and I don't follow the Lord today because of that church. No, you have no one to blame but yourself. Well, you know, it's that pastor, the way he treated. No, 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 you don't have anyone to blame but yourself. Well, you don't understand the the home I grew up in. My Christian parents, you know, they're so legal. No, no, no. You have no one to blame but yourself. You got to take personal responsibility for your life. Eh, There might be some pain in the previous church or in a previous pastor, but here, maybe even your parents. But the Bible says there's a way to resolve that. You can't use it the rest of your life as an excuse not to follow the Lord. You have no one to blame but yourself. See, the good news is if you want to follow God today and get back into the race, you can do it. If you want to compromise, you can do that too, but compromise is only going to lead you to more compromise. Compromise is gonna give you a bad reputation. You know, I was thinking compromise and cheating, you know, if you think of a race and cheating. There's always every year in those marathons, somebody that starts the marathon, goes off a little bit, gets in a taxi, and takes it to the front. It's like, what are you doing? Like, they have, all, they have cameras everywhere, they know. They know whether you're running or not, but they still, there's still somebody trying to cheat along the way. There's always that sense of, I want to get a little extra effort, but see, there's no need to cheat in this race, this spiritual race, because God is empowering you to finish and to finish well. Cheating will hurt you and harm you and destroy your life, and you have no one to blame but yourself. The Bible does assure us of the security of the believer. Peter tells us that we're kept by the power of God, but we also have a responsibility. You can jot it down in Jude. There's only one chapter in verse 20. It says this But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. That's your responsibility. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Notice he doesn't say keep yourselves saved. He says, keep yourselves in a usable position in God's love. You gotta keep yourself there. It's not, you're not keeping yourself. I like, think of the love of God like an umbrella. You know, it's raining and it's pouring down rain. In order to enjoy the benefits of the umbrella, you need to keep yourselves under the covering of the umbrella. Does that make sense? You can't take an umbrella and hold it out here and be upset that the rain is pouring on your head. All you need to do is bring your arm back just a little bit and you keep yourselves under that protective covering of the umbrella. Or I think of a nice hot day and you have the umbrella for shade. In order to enjoy the shade, you need to keep yourselves under the umbrella. Well, the same is true if you want to enjoy the love of God, you want to enjoy the presence of God, you want to enjoy your relationship with God, then here's what the Bible says. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Notice the Bible never needs to tell you to keep yourself in bitterness. That comes very naturally. The Bible never tells you to keep yourself in frustration. That comes naturally. The Bible never tells us to keep yourself all angry and messed up because that comes naturally. But we have to make a concerted effort to put our lives in a position and a place where we're not only under the love of God, but we are enjoying the love of God. It's our responsibility to keep yourself in a safe place, to stay away from anything that reduces your spiritual appetite, to stay away from anything that's unlike God's love, anything that would violate his love or bring sorrow and sadness to the heart of God. That's amazing, isn't it? You want to stay away, and I want to stay. If I'm running this race, laying aside the weight and the sins of my life, I want to stay in a place where I don't hurt God. You know, you can hurt God. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20, instructs us, commands us, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Your life can bring great... Anybody that has ever grieved in their human realm can understand that word. It's one of the deepest, most penetrating pains that a person can feel. And you think that God would experience a deep, penetrating pain because of your life and your decisions. Instead of grieving the Holy Spirit, you can choose to keep yourselves in the love of God. Grieving here speaks of creating pain to hurt the triune God. When you and I grieve the Holy Spirit, we distress our comforter, and create a heaviness in the air. Stay away from the things that will bring you down. Embrace the things that will bring you close. Stay away from people that will drag you away from loving God. In 1 Corinthians 15, 33, it says this. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. You say, well, you know, I'm not following God anymore because, you know, my friends. Yeah, your friends corrupted your good habits. They changed your life because you chose to hang out with them. Because this is important. There is a real devil that wants to bring us down and take us out of the race. He wants to destroy lives. Peter put it this way in 1 Peter 5, verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Not everyone that started finished well. Not everyone that started finished well. You know, the biggest issue in this room today, in our church family, I'm not responsible for the churches outside of Calvary here in Aurora. I'm not responsible. I'm responsible for here. So praying over our church, I'm going to tell you the biggest issue right now in our church is too many of you right now listening to me online, on the radio, in this room, too many of you are caught up in the cares and concerns of this world too many of you are in a position that you care more about the things of this world than you do the things of God. You go, Ed, what do you mean? You know, if I was here as a pastor and I would say, okay, guys, this is the biggest issue in the church. You guys are all drunken all the time. You're partying, going to clubs, and you need to stop it. It is not good to be clubbing, partying, drinking, and having drinking parties and getting drunk. It's not good. Most of the church would say, yes, Ed, you're right. We need to stop it. We repent. Because that's pretty obvious. That's an obvious thing. You're a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. That is the way the world operates. That's not drunkenness, partying, revelries. The Bible says stop it, stay away from it. And most people agree with it. But do you know that when Jesus was teaching about the things that would ensnare you and trap you, when he mentioned drinking, revelries, and partying, do you know at the same time he put cares and concerns of this life on an equal level? an equal level. But when a pastor stands and says, hey, you guys are too concerned about the cares and concerns of their life. Oh, Ed, you don't know. You don't understand. No, I do because because I watch it happen. It's a temptation for me. It's a temptation for me to get caught up in things that aren't eternal, that aren't going to matter eternally. It's a temptation for me of where I turn my life, where I turn my ears, where I turn my eyes. It's a temptation for you. But I'm telling you, the church is being diluted. The power of the church is being diluted by getting involved in things that really have no eternal value. And you lose your witness. You're no longer shining the light of the gospel. You're no longer known as a believer following Jesus. And it hurts the cause of Christ. And it's hindering your race. It's hindering your race. It is diluting your power. Why? Because we're the church. And so you think about, well, you know, I don't party anymore, I don't drink anymore. As a matter of fact, I never got involved in that. Okay, so how about the cares and concerns of life? Oh, not only the global cares and concerns of life, but just the everyday ones. Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Because today has enough concerns of itself. But how many of us worry about tomorrow? And the next day, and the next week? How many of us find ourselves caught up in things that we don't even associate as sin? And yet they are holding us back. If it's not a sin, it's a weight holding us back that we're to lay aside. Would you turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 4? I want to give you the backside of this, because Paul writing at the end of his life to young Timothy gives some powerful words, so encouraging to us. And I want you to see them in 2 Timothy chapter 4. I want you to pick up with me in verse 6 there as he's writing to young Timothy at the end of his life. He says, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. Basically he's saying, you know what? I'm about to die. I can see it on the horizon. I have fought the good fight, verse 7. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And finally there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all those who have loved his appearing. See, what happens when you're caught up in the cares and concerns of life, you don't love his appearing. You don't even think about his appearing. You don't even care about his appearing. But Jesus Christ promised that he would return and rescue us from this mess. That he would return and make every wrong right. That he would return and rule. Can you imagine, can you imagine a world ruled in righteousness, in perfection, untouched and untainted by sin, but so many believers today not only don't love his appearing, they don't care about his appearing. The Bible says that the soon return of Jesus Christ and our desire for him to come is known as the blessed hope. The blessed hope. It's a blessed hope that we know that God will fulfill his promises Paul, at the end of his life here, is a man ready to see the Lord. He sees the finish line. It's just up ahead. You know, the thing about our finish lines, church, is none of us really know where our finish line is. Some of you think it might be another 10 years, it might be another 20 years, but the Bible says that God today could require your life. Believe me, I've seen it happen. Surprisingly shockingly, at a young age. I've seen it many times through this church, not only in my own personal family. And if you're caught up in things, not concerned about the coming of the Lord, you're going to miss out. And you're going to look back and see that you wasted your life. For what? God didn't give us life to waste, but to invest it. To invest our lives in that which matters. And Paul, he was a former blasphemer and persecutor. He was a wildly violent, angry man. But he's able to say, I finished the race. I fought the good fight. I'm there. I'm ready. I'm ready to see Jesus. Why? Because he understood the power of the blood of Christ. And he lived confident in the one who saved him and forgave him and gave him daily strength. Moment by moment. Over the years in my life, you know, those that have been here for a while, you know, in the earlier days, I used to think in terms of years. Now, I don't think sinfully, but that's kind of my personality. I, I'm a, I, I tend to be a man of vision. I tend to see things broader than most people. It brings some frustration to some people, but others it inspires. Or I can just see the bigger picture. That's how God made me. Uh, someone might bring to me something here, and I expand it into 10 or 12 other things. And I would plan ahead and dream big, and what would God have for us in the future? And then tragedy struck and pain struck. And over time, I've become a man that just basically lives day by day. And and I live to abide in Christ. I think it's a good thing, uh, but it's come a very painful way. I think it's God's will for us to live day by day abiding in Him. I believe that's His will. He even gave us a hint of that when he taught the disciples how to pray. Remember? What did he say? I want you to ask the Father for your what? Daily bread. And how many of us in our prayers are even just praying daily? Just for today. I mean, even as Pastor Everett, during this time of crisis, you know, and this whole stuff that we've been going through as a church and a culture and everything, Pastor Everett will call me with a few things. And I'm finding more and more my answers. You know, Everett, let's just pray about it. We'll talk about it tomorrow. We don't need to worry about it today. We'll talk about it tomorrow. And we'll wake up in the morning, and we'll pray, and we'll see what God, Cassandra, my assistant, she'll call me with a lot of tasks. And you know, in the past, I just go boom, 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 give all the answers, and then man, I can take care of that and get on to the next thing, get on to the next thing. But lately, over the last few years, the Lord's just like, you know what, just pause and slow down and focus what's on in front of you so that the cares and concerns of life don't drown out the hope that Jesus can return at any moment. And maybe the Lord's working that out in your life in this race that you're in. Slowing you down. Teaching you how to love today. How to enjoy the moment. Abiding in Christ. Knowing that, hey man, some days are harder to run than others. Some days there's more resistance than others. But what God has begun in you, He's going to complete it. And you one day can say like Paul. Because Paul's a man. He's a real man like you and me. And here is an example. If Paul can make it, you can make it. He's another one of the cloud of witnesses that's gone before us. And what is it that helped him finish the race and fight the good fight? It's eternity, church. In verse 8, it's eternity. It's heaven. It's looking forward to the return of Christ, the crown of righteousness. The Lord, the righteous judge, is going to give to me on that day that I can stand in in the presence of God. And the question has to be asked, do you love the Lord's appearing? Are you praying for him to return? Do you love the truth that he promised to come back? You know, because the truth is I live with my daily failures. I know what lurks in my sinful heart sometimes. God reveals stuff to me. I know that I blow it. If there's ever any doubt of that, I always have my kids to remind me. If they forget to remind me, Marie will remind me of the humanity of my life. But I do know this. In all my faults and failures, one day in his righteousness, I will stand before the Lord. And I will stand before the Lord and give account for my life. And the good news is, is that God will see far more in me than I can see in myself. Just like the hall of faith. Didn't we learn that? Not one of them was remembered for their failure. They were remembered for their faith. They were remembered for their progress. They were remembered for the goodness of God in their lives that they become a part of the cloud of witnesses. We're in this race together. It's gonna be the topic in the next few studies. We're in this race together. Are you running this race? Are you? Are you walking with the Lord? Do you have a real relationship with Jesus today? Do you have that assurance that if you died today, you would go to heaven? If not, you can have it before we leave. Maybe there are some of you here that have made a commitment to Christ at one point in your life, but you've fallen away. You're like Samson, who had great potential, but his life ended so miserably. Or you're like King Saul. You're like King Saul. The the Bible speaks of King Saul being head and shoulders above the rest. But Those of you Bible students, you know his life ended miserably. So much potential, but you gave up along the way. You gave up on your kids, you gave up on your marriage, you gave up on your race, you gave up on all, and God is saying, look, though a man falls seven times, he will rise again. But maybe that's not your issue. Maybe your issue is you've never been born again to begin with, and God is calling you to himself. And if you have fallen, it's time to get back up. It's time to get back in the race. It's time to come back and return. And if you're listening from afar or you're still kind of lurking around here and you were here once and you were were serving here and you're the one, you know who you are that are undermining the faith of others, that are turning, you've even professed to be an atheist now. God loves you. He's calling you back too. He wants you back. There are some of you that haven't even started. You can start today. Jesus wants to forgive you of every sin you've ever committed. He wants to come into your life as your Savior and your Lord. He wants to give you the hope that every true believer had of life beyond the grave in a very real place called heaven that you can go and see Him one day. He wants to make you ready for His soon return, but you need to ask. You have your He God has His part. You have your part. You need to ask for His forgiveness. This is what the Bible says, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Why? For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's the most important thing you can hear today. Because everybody believes in something, and everybody confesses what they believe. Everybody. Everybody believes in someone or something, and everybody's life is a reflection of their beliefs. And there's just some of you have never entered into the race. And God is calling you into the race. Recently in our Bible study on our midweek, um, I titled the message, The End is Eternity. That's when the real end is. Until the end, we're to be about the Father's business. Living a spiritual life. Running the race. Helping brothers and sisters along the way. Focused. Keeping ourselves in the love of God. Laying aside What did Jesus say? The weights, the cares and concern. Laying aside the weights. Laying aside the known sin. Look, don't think I'm naive. I know that people with known sin come into this room all the time. But it's not for me that you need to be concerned about. God knows. And he knows not only the hidden sin in your life, like the stuff you know, but he knows how it's hurting you. How it's harming you how it's hindering you, how how it's slowing, if not completely pulling you out of the race of life. And God is just calling you back home to a place of surrender today. So Father, we thank you for the privilege of being warned and exhorted. But what a joy it is to know that we're in this race of life. And there are spiritual winners and there are spiritual losers. And the winners finish and the losers quit. And I pray, God, that in our lives that you would help us to be a room filled with finishers. I pray, God, for those that have been shaken, especially those, that phrase, uh, that they have no one to blame but themselves because you've showed them your love. You've put people in their life that have shown them love. You have, you've done everything that's possible. And now, God, I pray for those that have now the responsibility to respond. And so here in this room, if you're here today and you need to give your life to Jesus Christ, you'd like your sins forgiven, you want to get into the spiritual race, I'm going to invite you right here. Would you stand to your feet because I want to pray with you. I want to help you do what the Bible tells you to do. Express the belief in your heart in Jesus with your mouth. And so if you're here today, just respond by publicly standing. I want to help you. Uh, lead you in a prayer, or you can talk to God and confess your sins to Him. Of course, if you're not in the room with us, we can't see you. You might be downstairs in the overflow area, or listening online. I, I heard this morning that even though we have problems with the radio, it's still on. So if you're listening on the radio right now, we want you to respond. God bless you right here, right here in the room. That's, I mean, we're here right now, so let's, get, let's do business right here in the room. It's one of the advantages of gathering together. There is something about being with the people of God that the spirit of God uses the word of God to reach those that aren't in relationship with him. And so you're here, this is it, and here you are. God taught you today about this race, about the race of faith, about the fight for your soul. And now he's inviting you. You're not gonna be saved. Your sins aren't gonna be forgiven just by accident. You're not going to wake up one morning and go, oh, I didn't even know. I, didn't even, I don't even want to be saved. No, God's not going to save you against your will. He's a gentleman. He's going to honor your decision. But he's also going to bring about circumstances so that you realize the weight. There's a Bible word. God bless you in the back. There's a Bible word about how bad our sin is. It's called depravity. That's how far we are from God. We've all been there. That's how I walked into church. God bless you in the back over here. I see you. That's how I walked in. I was just looking at some old pictures and seeing a picture of me unsaved. You could see it. I remember that year. It was bad. And yet God's love still penetrated. I'm so grateful that he didn't give up on me. So those of you that responded, I want to lead you in a prayer so you could talk directly to God, okay? You could say this. You could say, God, I admit that I've sinned against you and I ask you to forgive me of all of my sin. I believe you sent Jesus Christ to live for me, to die for me, and I believe Jesus rose again from the dead to save my soul. And I dedicate my life to following you from this day forward. And I'm asking God for your help to turn away from my sinful past. And I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys that responded.